in the words of Scripture with you. He is humbling you by calling you to listen to me. Whenever you preach, you're looking out at a hundred people. Some of you are just sailing through life right now. Wicked good season. Some of you are in a super hard reality. For most of you, it's somewhere in the middle. There's a few things in your life that are just going gangbusters. And there's a few things in your life that you feel like, I am dying in this place. And so today I'm speaking to all of us. And this text of Scripture speaks especially to that second reality. It is heavy, but in the warmest possible way. Okay, let me give you an analogy and then we'll pray. Uh, when we have this towel in my house, I don't know if you have towels like this. It's about this wide and this long. Do you have these super towels? It weighs like six pounds. One time when my Cali girl was in the bath in the month of February, one of those really cold months, I took that super heavy towel and I put it in the dryer for five minutes and I let it tumble in there to just get really hot. And then when the timer on the dryer went off, I took her out of the tub. She immediately began uh, shivering. You know how that happens in Boston when you take a shower in the wintertime? And I went and I took this towel and I wrapped it around her body three times and then I carried her to my bed and I let her lay in that towel. Here's what I need you to see. Under the weight of that towel was the best place for her to be. That is exactly the truth that is coming to you today. When you leave, if this is pressed into your soul, we will have won today. Here's the big idea that I'm going to give to you. In love, God is working even in the heaviest realities of our lives for our good to make us holy. Okay, if you walk out of here with that today, we win. Let's pray. Father, we're so easily distracted. I pray that you would give us a few minutes to hear from you without distraction. I pray that you would speak clearly to my friends, my brothers, my sisters, even to me, that this glorious truth of the Bible would hit home. Hear my prayer and answer, I pray. Amen. Okay, remember, every time we come to the words of Scripture, every sermon, every gospel conversation in a community, every theological dialogue in a track, every personal devotion of yours, we're looking to understand these words, believe these words, and then go live these words. That's my aim with you today. Let's start with the understand part. Remember the context for the people who were receiving these words of Scripture. You had this church community. They had heard the gospel and believed the gospel, and they were all in on living the gospel. And everything at first was easy. You know, 70-degree days and blue skies and frappuccinos and Lionel Richie music? Easy like Sunday morning. That was their life as a church for the first few years. Easy. But then all of a sudden, boom. They began to get hated and threatened by the culture for 
their confession of faith in Christ. They would wake up in the morning and their car would be all keyed up and the fish bumper sticker would have been pulled off. In the middle of the night, they would have heard smash and bricks were being thrown through their windows. They'd go to their mailbox and there would be subpoenas and lawsuits being filed against them for confessing that Jesus is Lord. Hostility, difficulty, suffering, they ran into the teeth of a really hard road. Now here's the big existential question we're dealing with today. Why is life like this? Why? Why couldn't their life be all 70 degree days and blue skies and pina coladas and Jamie Grace music or Farrell songs? How come it can't just be happy? Why did they and why do we have to endure so many heavy realities in this life? Now that's a massive theological question. The three-minute answer is this, that there are two things going on. I'm going to put them up here and talk to you about them. There is an interplay of sin and sovereignty. There's an interplay of sin and sovereignty. All right, so on one level, the answer to this question is sin. And I don't mean that every hard thing that you go through is a direct result of some sin that you committed. Sometimes that happens, but that's not what I mean. I mean sin generally, universally. This world and our whole experience in it, the whole human experience, is broken. The Bible's word for that is cursed. The historical, collective, relentless, ever-present sin that defines your life, my life, and every life that has ever been and is being lived falls on us. Because of sin and its effects, here's a list. Relationships fracture. Our bodies break down. Perfectly healthy men have seizures. We experienced that last week. Hurricanes rip through towns because this world is cursed by sin. The Carolinas. Honest people get lied about and slandered. Marriages disintegrate. Two-year-olds die. Christian communities come under persecution. This is happening right now in Nigeria. I don't know if you've seen this. Families being torn apart because they love Jesus. And this is what was happening to our brothers and sisters who were receiving this letter. It's Genesis 3. It's our following in the footsteps of Adam that is the cause at one level of all the awfulness of this age, this life. But there is also something going on that is another level. There is a deeper answer to this question. Why do heavy realities attend our lives? Why? And that is this. God is at work in them. He is never the author of sin, but he is sovereign over all things, including sin and its effects. And in his love for us, he governs. He superintends even the worst things in our lives for our 
good. This is why you will sometimes hear me use these phrases interchangeably. Hard reality. Hard providence. Why do I use those as synonyms? Because God's hand is in the darkest things in our lives. He is never caught off guard or surprised by anything that we face. Not even the hard things, especially not the hard things. He is aware of them. He is allowing them. He is going somewhere with them. And my goal today is to let this text press that truth in all of its glory and its beauty and its comfort on you. All right, let me start with the first big word from our text that you have to get because it occurs over and over and over and over again. You heard me say it 10 times in eight verses. It's this word, the word discipline. If you were reading this in Greek, and I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but it is the Greek word paideia. I'll just say it like that. You can correct me later if you know better. All right, what do you think of, especially you fourth and fifth graders, what do you think of when you hear the word discipline? Most of us immediately think it's like getting whacked for doing something wrong. It is punishment. It is punitive. So there was no timeout in my house growing up. Who grew up with timeouts? I heard about this parenting strategy. Parents say this to their kids sometimes. I want you to go to your room and think about what you did. That would have been awesome. (laughs) Oh, man. That was not the cruise home. So we had the wooden spoon. And my mother in particular put that thing to work. We also had the the bar of soap in the downstairs bathroom, which went right in the mouth when I came home from PS30 with a new uh, one, two, three, four-letter word in my vocabulary. Uh, Discipline. The word discipline in our text includes that reality, but I need you to see that it is much broader. Much broader. Not softer, but broader. When you hear the word discipline today, I want you to think about the hard, intense, difficult, but loving instruction or training or correction that one person who loves another person will put on them for their good. All right, so have you ever learned an instrument and the instructor was really hard on you, like the violin teacher from Parental Guidance? Anybody ever learn an instrument and your teacher was just like on you? Why so hard? Why such a difficult reality learning that instrument? They were going somewhere with that discipline of their student that they would perform magnificently at the concert. Anybody ever have a teacher who just gave a ton of homework and graded really hard and like almost broke you in that semester? Any of you people in this room are that kind of a teacher. Why are there teachers like that? What are they doing? Why are you making this so hard? They want to make sure that you have mastered the subject so that you can perform according to all the truth that they had for you. Anybody ever been on a team and had a coach who nearly ran you to death 
Anybody been there before? Henry? All right. So I play basketball at Dom Savio High School in East Boston. And uh, in the building, the, the lobby was three floors. Before our practices, the coaches used to make us run up and down those three flights 20 straight times. Now, you know these old Catholic school buildings, the way that the heat works, right? There's only two settings. It's either off or hell. That's what it says on there. It's just the toggle switch. So in the wintertime, it would be set, and it would be 173 degrees in this staircase, and we would have to run 20 times. I, you, you would think you were going to die. Then they'd bring you into the gym, and you'd practice for three hours, and they'd make you run more suicides and more sprints. Why so hard? They would tell us, we're going somewhere with this. In the fourth quarter, we're going to be the school that runs the opponent off the floor. In other words, Paideia is one authority in love for someone that's been given to their care, going hard on them so that they might succeed. That's how you need to hear the word discipline in our text. Okay, so now let's work the text. Let me read this again to you. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, don't take lightly the discipline of the Lord or grow weary when reproved by him. For the Lord loves the one he disciplines. The Lord chastises every son whom he receives. All right, so let's just work these words. And I want you to see two big realities. Don't miss them. The reality of sonship, number one, established in your soul. In the gospel, check this out. In the gospel, the living God has placed his love on you by adopting you as sons and daughters. This truth is shown off when we baptize you into the family of God. We get you right up here and we dunk you in these waters. And what do we say when we do that? We say, we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. That naming ceremony is huge. God is putting his last name on you. You belong to him now. Adoption is also shown off in God's discipline of us. Every good dad disciplines their children. Why? Because they belong to him. And he loves them. And he wants the best for them. So you can ask them later, but I am constantly pressing hard things on my children. Turn the TV off, go back to the table, pick up your dirty dish, and put it in the sink. When you're 10, that is a hard reality. Turn off the iPad, go back upstairs to the bathroom, pick up your towel off the floor, shake it out, and hang it on the curtain rod. Go back to your mom and tell her you are sorry for the way that you raised your voice to her. Wake up, it's Sunday, get ready, we're going to church. Every one of those things is a hard sign of belonging 
in our family. Nobody treats them like that but me because nobody loves them like that but me. Ten times in these eight verses, the Spirit presses the fact that hard times in your life is not a sign that God is angry with you. It is not a sign that God has forgotten about you. It is not a sign that God is messing with you. It is a sign that He loves you. Sonship. The second thing is sovereignty. Who is the active agent in these sentences? The Lord disciplines. The Lord chastises. The Lord trains. The Lord goes heavy on us. Now, unbelief either denies this completely or it sees these verses as monstrous. But faith receives this not only as a truth, but as a comfort. Faith, even in the blackest, darkest, hardest reality in our life, when we are pretty sure that we are not going to survive this, that there's no way I'm going to make this, preaches this gospel to itself. God is sovereign in all things, and I am his son. God is sovereign in all things, and I am his daughter. This hard time is not a sign that God has stopped loving me or kicked me to the curb. It is a sign that he loves me. This is where I'm getting the first part of my big idea. In love, God is working in the hardest realities of our lives. Sonship and sovereignty. Okay, now the second part. We've all had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father and live? And then these words, for our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. The writer of the letter to the Hebrews loves making the argument from less to more. So this would be like, you got Aaron Rodgers, but then you got Tom Brady. You feel that? That's an argument from less to more. And he does it through the whole story of this letter. Here he does it again. He says, you've got earthly fathers, and they're good, but then you have this heavenly father, and he is so much better. The first thing he basically says is, hey, your dad tried. Daddy tried. And you respected him for it, even though everybody knows he was not perfect in his instruction, training, discipline of you. Is that true? It's true. Even the best, most invested, holiest of our fathers and mothers, their discipline is really a mixed bag, right? Sometimes it's really good. Sometimes it's really bad. There are times when I have been lovingly exercising fatherly discipline on my kids. And you would have watched it and gone, hey, I didn't know Cruz had that in him. That was all right. 
many times it has not been very good. Sometimes you discipline annoyed. Sometimes you discipline angry. Sometimes you do it with a cold heart. Sometimes you are too intense. And the kids are like, Dad, come on, man. That punishment does not fit that stumble. Sometimes you're too lenient. And they won't tell you this, but inside they're saying, I wish you were tougher on me. You're letting me get away with these things. Earthly fathers try, but our discipline is sketchy. It's imperfect. But that is not how it works with God, your Father. He is perfect in all of His ways. Everything He allows or assigns, every difficulty, every tragedy, every providence is governed perfectly. I have a friend and he lost three brothers. Three of his brothers died. This mother and father, his parents, watched a six-month-old die and then a two-year-old die and then the worst ever, their 18-year-old son who was going Ivy League was sledding with friends and at the bottom of the hill struck his neck in such a way that he died three times. They were visited with this awful providence. And many people came to them and said, I would never be able to handle what has happened to you. And the father said the most interesting thing. He said, the death of each of our children was much more difficult for others than it was for us. How can he say these words? What he was saying is, God knows our frame. He knows what we could handle. He knows what we could make it through and not make it through. He doesn't visit the same providences on everyone. His discipline for you is perfectly suited for you. There are things that I will go through that you couldn't handle. There are things that you go through that I could not handle. God is a good Father who is sovereignly caring for all of it. I mean, so in my life, there's all these beautiful things. And then there are these very hard things. And I was talking with Amy, who loves our family the other day. And she said to me, I don't understand how you can get up and preach a sermon with some of the things that I know are hard realities in your world right now. And I was just like, I don't know either, but I know that God has assigned to me things that will not kill me. He's going somewhere with them. And so I am able to serve him. And there are things in Amy's life that I would just buckle under. God's discipline of you, the story of your life, is never outside of him knowing how he has made you and what you can handle. You can trust him. Perfect in all of his ways. And then the last one is purposeful. It's going somewhere. Every hard providence in your life is meant to make you holy. It is given so that you might live with joy now and forever. All right, you guys know that I had, I don't know if you can see it from there, but I had melanoma cut from the top of my head, right? A diagnosis of cancer, and they said, schedule appointment this month. Come and do this. 
The surgery was vicious. Basically, this doctor strapped me down to a table, grounded me, and then took a really sharp blade and cut a hole in my head. And he went all the way down to the bone of the skull to get under the cancer. He cut a circle and he pulled it out. Why would this man visit me with such pain? He was determined that I would live. That's why. It's the same thing with God's discipline of us. If God has saved you in the gospel, he is determined to make you holy. He is determined to fit you for the age to come. Determined. And he will use all the means at his disposal to get you there. Now, don't hear that wrong. We are gospel people down in our bones, right? Like, I don't have tattoos because I'm boring like that, but if I did, justified by faith alone might be one of them that I would put on this arm. We know that our righteousness is not in anything that we bring to the table. It's the righteousness of Christ given to us, imputed to us in the gospel. Yes and amen. But the faith that saves you by itself never remains by itself. If you are truly saved, your life over time is going to evidence that reality, that fact, by changing. Not that you're ever going to be perfect, but you're going to mature. You're going to grow holier. There's going to be seasons where your old sins raise their ugly head and you're like, am I making any progress at all? You are. God is making you holy. And one of the ways that he does this work in our lives is visiting us with hard things. They train you to let go of your love of this world. They train you to throw off your pride. They train you to know your need for grace and comfort. They train you to love and trust him What else are you going to do when every rug in your life has been pulled out from under you? You're going to move toward God. Elizabeth Elliot, ferociously holy woman, she watched as her husband Jim was speared to death by some natives in South America that they had gone to talk to about the gospel. And she wrote these words once in her journal. Hear them with me. She said, My morning reading yesterday fell in Hebrews 12, verse 10. And it came with fresh force on my soul. And it was these words. He disciplines us for our good that we might be holy. She said, There are times that I am tempted to say, No, anything but that, Lord. And then he must of necessity say, okay, but then anything but my holiness. Is any price too great to pay that we may share in God's holiness? From my heart I say, even the loss of Jim is not too great if he will allow me this, but I will have nothing less. So I rest in his will, which is forever good and acceptable 
and perfect. What Elizabeth Elliot is saying is the big idea that we're pressing. In love, God is working in the heaviest realities of our lives for our good to make us holy. And I want it. That's what she's saying. And I want it. Okay, let's land the plane. If we had all afternoon, we could put together a list of what this actually looks like. Sometimes God allows us to be persecuted and beat up by unbelievers, and it hurts, and it's awful. That's what these Hebrews were facing. That's what Jesus faced, and it was part of his becoming perfected. Sometimes he allows us to be unfairly slandered in public. This happened to a pastor friend of ours. I mean, he's the best pastor I have ever seen in my life. And 20 years ago, someone brought a falsehood, a total lie, a public accusation that brought him through years of suffering, and he lost his position in this church over a lie. And he would look right at you and say, God was working in that trial to make me holy. And I hated every second of it, but he was loving me in it, and he was going somewhere. Sometimes he allows us to have loved ones who suffer. We've endured this just in the life of our church, right? Last year, Luca was in the NICU for weeks, just born. And then Chris and Christine's son were still working to figure out how is this arm going to work. Why would God allow a Paul and a Kelsey or a Chris and a Christine to endure those heavy realities? He's going somewhere with it. He's making them holy. He's giving these kids a story that will bring glory to God. Sometimes he allows us to be in a hard marriage. Sometimes he allows us to fail in life. Or even worse, to let someone we'd be jealous of succeed more than we do. Sometimes he allows us to have accidents. Joni Erickson Tata, 18 years old, a swimmer, dives off a dock into the water and cracks her neck and never walks again. Never walks again. She's in her 70s. She would stand in this pulpit and she would say to you, God was working in the difficulty of my paralysis to make me holy. He knew what I could bear. And I've spent 52 years trusting him and helping others endure hardship. God allows us to commit heinous sins to drive us to himself. He allows us to fall back into sins that we thought we had defeated to make us holy. I could keep going in all of these things, God is a good Father who is working for your good to make you holy. Here's the question. Will we allow ourselves to be trained in this way? The last verse says this. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Sometimes the Bible is like, duh. So helpful, right? Jesus never heals your wounds lightly. He won't do it. The Holy Spirit is not papering over how horrible a NICU is, how terrible paralysis, how awful a difficult marriage is, how unbelievably hard it is to be slandered when you've done nothing wrong. 
in the moment, that discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. And here's what we're called to believe. But later, it yields the fruit of righteousness, holiness, to those who have been trained by it. All right, I started here. Some of you are in blue sky, 70 degree, pina colada season in life. Receive that from the hand of the Lord. He loves you like a good father. Some of you are in the bottom of a well at midnight during an eclipse. It is as black as it gets. Receive that from his hand and know that he is with you. He is for you. He is going somewhere. And you will love him more, be more useful to him in having endured this. Everybody in here right now is engaging with this truth, not existentially out there, but personally, right? So I'm even talking to you, and I'm running through the stuff in our lives that is hard. Can we believe that God is working, even in those realities in our broken world, for our good, to make us holy? And at the end of this, in the age to come, we will look back and say, He was there. He was there. He was for me, and He was doing something beautiful. I know that's hard. I want you to think on it. Let's pray together. Father, you have made explicitly clear in your word that you govern all things. Nothing is outside of your care. You've also made it explicitly clear that you love us with an everlasting love, that you have put your name on us. I pray for every friend, brother, sister in this room, every heavy reality that you have them under right now, and I pray that they would feel the love of the Father working in it. I pray that on the back end of the brutality of this life, we would be the church that stands and says, God is good. Even the hard stuff, He was good. He was going somewhere. I belong to Him. That's how I know He brought me through it. I do pray for anyone in this room who feels like they are going to crack that they would know that you have not visited them with anything that they can't handle by the power of your Spirit. I pray that you would surround them with comfort and hope and friends who believe and that your glory would be shown off in this season of their life. We love you and we trust you and we thank you for making us fit for the age to come. Thanks for your care for us in this. I pray all this only by faith. Hear my prayer and answer. Amen.